A WhatsApp here on the WhatsApp line, which may, is actually a perfect segue into our next conversation, says increasing VAT even by 1% is ridiculous for a SASA pensioner who is certainly trying to feed an extended family on 2,090 rand a month, not a day. And as I say, that's a perfect way to lead into our next conversation because we're going to be talking about a new social grants report that's been conducted by the UCT-based Family Caregiving Program. I'm delighted to welcome into studio Professor Elena Moore from the Department of Sociology and Dr. Nonzuzo Mbukazi, a senior researcher at that family family caregiving program. Forgive me, I haven't quite got my mouth around that one. But good morning, ladies, and welcome, and thank you so much for coming into the studio. Thank you for having us. Good morning, Amy. Thanks for having us. Elena, let's let's start with you. Give us a high-level, give our listeners a high-level overview of the report that you've just put out. Okay, thanks. Well, just for the listeners' sake, I suppose, this report follows a previous report that looked at funding, the state funding to older persons. And what we saw in that report is that 98% of funding goes towards social grants and only 2% of funding from Department of Social Development goes to community care. So what we wanted to do in this report was say, okay, if pretty much all of Department of Social Development's support for older persons is going to grants, what do grants do? How far do they reach in a household? We know older persons live in households. Our findings show that actually on average it's five plus persons in an older person's grant beneficiary household. So the vast majority are large households, as I said, five plus people. Um, and that's about 60% of the older person grant beneficiary cohort, which makes up 3.8 million people. So this is a huge number. Like, so basically, vast majority of older persons who are receiving grants are in larger households and we wanted to know what do these grants do? How do they get transformed into meeting the care needs of both the family but also the individual older person who, as we know, is a particular group in society that have specific care needs? I would imagine that many people listening to this show have an older member of their family that is receiving a grant but is not surviving every month. And they are having to subsidize that person. But on the flip side, as you say, many of the grant recipients are having to subsidize their families with their very meager grant. Yeah, I think it's a really important point to make. I think one of the findings that came out with our study is because we looked at household level analysis across the countries from a national data set. We saw that actually in two thirds of all households, there's no income coming in from employment. So where older persons are living in their households, they're obviously, often additional sources of money coming in, i.e. other social grants, most, most like in 90, 92% of cases. But there's actually, you know, very few households where there's income coming in. As I mentioned, there's, a, you know, 60 to 65% of households where there's no income coming in. Okay. So that's where you have to see, well, actually the older person's grant is having to reach and go beyond what was it was intended for, or how it's been designed. Uh, let's go to you, Nonzuzo, now. And how large is the older person grant beneficiary population? Tell us briefly about some of the demographics within this group. Shame, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I don't mean for you to have to scratch for your notes. You don't need to give us the exact figures. Yes, so um, the population group um, of black people is 80%. The colored population is 14%. And white people make up four percent and the Indian population is two percent. Okay, so those are largely the people that are receiving these beneficiaries, correct? Yes. Okay. Now for this report, the Family Caregiving Program in South Africa worked with 80 families, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. 
Yes, we worked with 80 families, um, 30 in KwaZulu-Natal, okay. and um, the remainder of that was in the Western Cape. Um, and that was in, in urban areas in the Western Cape and rural um, Western Cape. And when you say that you worked with them, um, Nonzuzo, what sort of process was it in compiling the report? What sort of things did you look at in their daily activities? Um, so we conducted qualitative interviews. Um, so that is in-depth, in-person interviews, which were semi-structured. We had an interview schedule where we had particular probes as to what we wanted to understand about the care that older persons are receiving. Um, but we didn't just interview um, the older person. We also spoke to a caregiver. So that is someone who is there, um, whether it's half a day or like 24-7, just looking after the older person. And we wanted to understand the work that goes into this and um, trying to understand the reach of the grant in, in, in affording the older person to um, receive the care that they need. And in those interviews, what were some of the insights that you gained? Some of the insights, and I will speak particularly to um, the site where I conducted um, interviews in KwaZulu-Natal. So this was in a rural area in KwaZulu-Natal and a urban area, which was a township in KwaZulu-Natal. And a thread that ran across these interviews was the fact that, yes, um, older people expressed that they were very um, grateful for the fact that they received this OPG um, for from the states, but it just was not enough. And this um, can be attributed to the fact that the unemployment rates in South Africa is so high. So even in a household where you have the older person and maybe two other adult um, people in the household, those people were often unemployed, meaning that everyone was looking to this grant. And it goes to the point that um, the, 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 the OPG, although it alleviates a lot of households from poverty, mm. what it does is it doesn't, because this grant is used um, to access food, um, you know, transport cost for the older person to get to the clinic but it doesn't do much to maximize the dignity of the older person so they cannot eat accordingly um, especially if they are living with chronic conditions where if you have diabetes there's a particular diet that you're, you're supposed to follow right yeah. um, but when when you're a low income family um, with minimal resources um, that means that um, you have to turn to eating maize as a staple and have Having that as you you know your main source of food, um, which of course um, maize has sugar and it's not it's not the ideal diet for someone who is living with type two um, diabetes. And I'm just using that as an example, but um, it showed us that they are not able to um, to to just live with dignity as all the people in their old age. Oh, this, this conversation is absolutely heartbreaking. If you've just tuned in, I'm joined in studio by Dr. Nonzuzo Mbukazi, a senior researcher at the Family Caregiving Program, as well as Professor Elena Moore from the Department of Sociology at UCT. Elena, in light of some of the things that Nonzuzo has just been telling us, what, uh, what would you as the Family Caregiving Program like to see changed and, and how? Yeah, I mean, I think where we gain our insights is from what people are actually doing. So people who are struggling to make ends meet and, and actually just secure basic food, you know, security. 
is that people are using in drawing on support from the community. So food programs, whether they're offered by senior programs, whether they're offered by schools or by the church or religious institutions. And so what we, we, we don't believe, obviously we would love to see the value of the older person's grants revisited and we would make calls for that. Mm. But in, uh, we, we've, we have the budget speech on Wednesday. We know these things are going to be not necessarily heard. So what we would also call for is a restructuring of funding to d allocate far more funding at community level, which actually provinces manage. And in doing so, what, what could happen is that the costs such as transport costs or, you know, the ways in which the clinic provides certain medical products for older persons such as adult incontinence products, if they were regularly supplied and if they were freely available and accessible and if people could get to clinics easier without incurring high costs of maybe a hundred rand return trip, you know, if, mm. particularly if you're living in a rural area, but not only rural area, all those costs would be taken away from the older person's grant, you know, that mm. they're currently allocating to. And so that's that's one thing. We would also obviously complement everything what we're saying is that we would um, argue for maintenance, like the continuation of the Social Relief Distress Grant, an increase in that, needless to say an increase. Because the levels at which this child support grant and the Social Relief Distress Grant are at indirectly impact the older person's grant, if that makes mm, sense. Mm. People share money in households. Yeah. And so when there's not enough of one social grant, it needless to say the older person has to use their grant to pay for school transport, let's, as an example oh, for, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so just to uh, add on to what um, my colleague Nanziza said, is that, you know, we, we, we did it both at an individual household level, about speaking to 80 families in KZN and Western Cape, but we also analysed national statistics. So this is a story that's not just based in Western Cape or KwaZulu-Natal. Mm. What's most important here is to remember who are older person grant beneficiaries. As my colleague said, yes, they're black South Africans, but they're actually overwhelming women. So there's three times as many women who are accessing an older person grant. So this is a gendered and racialized and needless to say a classed. Um, but it's also important to remember that's also geo geographic based. So mm. one third of all older person grant beneficiaries are actually living in KwaZulu-Natal. Wow. So and, and compared to the average population, it's also far more rural based. Mm. So we need to think about, well, what does the economy look like? What are the rural economy? Is it realistic to think that there will be other sources of income coming into the household? And so we need to get far more particular in that regard of how we understand older persons and their families. I just want to pick up on something you said a few minutes ago, Elena, mm -hmm. when you spoke about the restructuring of funding, mm -hmm. uh, moving it to more of a provincial management level. Would that not open the door to more corruption? Or am I going down a path that I shouldn't be? <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's an important question. And I mean, I'm sure corruption happens everywhere. It happens in mm. provincial level, national level, it happens across the globe. It's not unique to South Africa. Yeah. I can attest to that, you know, as well. What, what, it, what it would give, it would give provinces a bit more autonomy, I suspect. First of all, one thing is important to say is that there's been a huge underfunding in community care over the last 20 years. We did analysis on this. And there's a 13% drop in funding community care services, oh, right? That's a significant That's drop. significant. So whilst, yes, the older person's grant is increased aligned with inflation each year, year on year, and that should be applauded, needless to say, because they're what's happening in the community is under-supported and, you know, there's not enough funds being directed that way. Well, then what happens is there's, there's no, apart from households, there's no one else supporting older person's care needs. And I'm talking really the everyday care needs. Yes, medication is available at the clinic, but if you, you need to, you need resources to be able to get to the clinic, get your medication, buy food, cook the food. Mm. So it's electricity, transport, 
food are the main things we're looking at here. Um, and obviously money for funeral policies as well. Well, not only that, but the, the money to be able to get the grant yeah. in the first place. Exactly. Did the report yes. look at that, Nonzuzo? Um, yes, we, we do look at that because... Um, especially for a family that's living in a rural area you have to take like two taxis mm. to get to a sasa point or to get to um you know where you can collect your your, your grant and this um strains a family that's already living using very minimal resources in terms of um what is coming into the household in terms of money Let's take a moment and listen to a voice note that I believe has come in on this matter. It's an absolute disgrace that we have to pay for the... No, and I think that that was the wrong voice note. Joe, there's a voice note apparently that's about a caregiver. While we wait for Joe to find that one, let's continue the conversation on our end, ladies. Elena, you said you wanted to just add to that. Yeah, there's one, uh, and, and I think that we've mentioned this before also on Cape Talk, is that there's one particular social grant available for, uh, it's called the Grant in Aid, and it's hugely under-applied for. So it is an allocation deemed that older persons can apply for, or people living with disabilities, okay. and it's roughly 510 rand per month, and it's intended for the full-time care needs of the older person or the person living with a disability. Now, currently, there's only one in 25 older persons applying for this, where we estimate, based on kind of health statistics of you know across the country, is that that number should be probably more closer to like one in five, one in six. So you can see the numbers are far way off, and we want to make sure people know about this grant and then actually apply for it. I wanted to ask, do you mm. think the reason that only one in five people is applying for it is because they don't know about it? I think there's mixed reasons, and this is something we're trying to investigate ourselves. Obviously, there's people who just don't know about it, mm. and the, uh, part of our job is to make it known. Yes. You know, So we've developed various kind of communication tools to do that. But I would do wonder what's happening at SASA offices when people do go to apply. It is a quite a clunky process, yeah. and it does obviously require the assessment of a SASA doctor to assess that you have full-time care needs. A lot of the per people we're working with have full-time care needs where mobility is an issue. So actually just being able to get to a SAS office, being able to get to the local clinic to be assessed mm. is not an easy is not an easy thing to do when you're bed bound. Okay. And that's so there there are mechanisms that could be improved in the process of applying for it that would really help. Very difficult conversation. We're talking about OPGs, older person grants, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. O two one four four six O five six seven O seven two five six seven one five six seven going to have to catch up with this on a podcast been a busy morning and as a caregiver myself i haven't had chance to uh, tune in i just wanted to say that the degree of self-respect that a government grant gives a person who otherwise would be indigent is enormous and i can't thank the government enough for what they are doing to try and extend this hand of help to the furthest reaches and the most poor in our country Somebody reflecting there actually just how valuable and how meaningful those grants are to the livelihoods of the people that we are talking about. Yeah, I think it's an important they, reflection. Yeah, they absolutely are. And this came up during the interviews, like throughout all 30 households, they kept saying that if we didn't have this money coming in, our family would be destitute. But 
what we're trying to say is that we need um, investment into services, mm. so home-based care, um, food programs, those are the kind of things that would maximize um, dignity of the older person beyond the grant because the grant, although as I've already mentioned, helps in alleviating poverty um, of a lot of families, especially in the low-income setting, but then that means that um, the needs of the older person at an individual level are overlooked and are not met. There's a WhatsApp here, which I'm not going to read in full because it's it's about Sasa, but it's not really a, relative to what we're talking about today. But it's just talking about how the Cryfentine service has been unavailable for so long and there are so many hundreds of people destitute mm-hmm. as a result. I want to just ask you what happens to these older people that receive grants when they find themselves in a situation like this, where they cannot access Well, this the is funds. the thing. I mean... We, whether they can't access the funds or whether just the funds aren't going far enough is that most people do turn obviously to family members if there are family members that can support. You know, that is also isn't an easy process, as we all know in our own families, of asking people for help. Of the other thing people do is often they turn to loan sharks. And that in itself uh, happened quite frequently mm-hmm. in our study. And that creates a, a very, very vicious cycle of, of, of having to repay high interest rates and very rarely getting out of that cycle of having to repay. Sure. We don't have much time together. We've only got another two or three minutes left. So I'd just like to ask each of you, please, if you could give me one of the main, the most important thing for you personally that came out of the report and the study as you were doing it. What is the most significant thing? And it'll be different for both of you, I'm mm-hmm. sure. What was the most significant thing for you, Elena? I think I think putting some numbers on some of these things at a national level was really important mm-hmm. because I know a lot of, everybody knows that the older person's grant is used by families. Everybody knows that it's mm-hmm. shared and, you know, and that grandmothers in particular have done a lot of work in looking after children and, and others in their families. But the fact that, that we see that it's so heavily gendered and, you know, and it's mainly women as older person grant beneficiaries and it's mainly black women mm. in, in households that are, are large, that there are five plus persons. I mean, that hasn't been uh, tangibly you know, noted. And that's the one thing. The other thing linked to this is that policy makes the assumption that you know, older person's grant, because it is such a high value relatively to the other grants, that the government's doing enough. When actually we're, yes, applauding what it does mm. and obviously congratulating the fact that it is rolled out very well. But, and I say this with a big but, is that far more needs to be done. Um, just, be, just because that is received, it isn't enough. And so far more community care based programs need to take place. Thanks. Yes, and to, um, build on that, Elena, I would say that for me, it would just be um, having um, our participants' um, voices you know, amplified mm. so that um, there's an understanding that, again, we're not um, bashing governments in any way. We see um, the benefits of the grant, but just more needs to be done. I'd like to just take a moment to thank you both, not only for coming in today and sharing this information with us, but for the work that you're doing in highlighting this and the efforts that you're putting into. And I I do hope it reaches the right hands and and has the impact that it really should have. So thank you both. Thanks. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Nanzuzu Mbukazi, Senior Researcher at the Family Caregiving Program, as well as Professor Elena Moore from the Department of Sociology at UCT. Love to hear your thoughts on that conversation. 021-446-0567, 072-567-1567.